explicitly ordering you not to go. You risk hundreds of lives and you risk peace in the quadrant. If you could lower the volume of your voice, Admiral. My God. Are you hungover, Spock? The result of a peace treaty with the Klingon captain after a successful mission. You got lucky. All right, welcome back to the General Order One podcast, where we are discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'm your host, Scott, and as always, I'm joined by my longtime friends, Ben and Jason. And today we are discussing season two, episode one, which just aired. So we are diving right in. Before we start, I uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about. I was watching some. I went back to Discovery because we're in like a Star Trek lull right now because everything's between seasons. That's the like, desperation really, play. Yeah, right there, my friend. I was like, I gotta go. I'm gonna give it another shot. I'm gonna go in with an open mind. And so I watched season three. And it's okay. Like the production value is great. The costumes are great. The setting's great. Like the CG is amazing. But the, like all of the plots are just horrible. Like I was just, I, I determined halfway through it that the part of the reason I don't like it is because I have disaster fatigue after watching it because every single episode is a catastrophe that they barely survive. Right. There's no strange new worlds. There's no exploring. Like everything is OMG, like the Federation is about to, you know, be destroyed. Like how do we barely eke by this week, right? So anyway, the the, the point is <laughs> this isn't a discovery podcast. So I'm watching that and I'm like I gave it like all of season three and it was okay. And I got to season four and I watched the first chapter and it was just abysmal. I was very disappointed. I legitimately like, I'm like, I need a palate cleanser. So I went back and watched the strange new world's pilot. And I was like, Oh, this is just so much better. Like it's night and day different shows. But during my rewatch of the pilot, there was a, a, a sentence or I guess a, a discussion between Laon and Pike that I think I sent you guys. I'm going to read it real quick because I think it ties into her character that we didn't pick up on the first time. And Laon tells Pike that she says, the Gorn have a ritual. The last one, the one who survives, they send into space on a raft, like throwing a fish back, I suppose. You're not really supposed to survive. Dumb luck, the King Jr. ran into me. Una was ensign on the King. He helped me find my way back home. She's the reason I joined Starfleet. So yeah. Una and and Laon go way back. I mean, sounds like they were friends. Remember, if you remember in the pilot, like they meet and they're like, oh, basically long time no see. And it's never really explained any more than that. So there's two things that we learn from that. Number one, that they are very good friends. And number two, that the Gorn have like this weird like survivor ritual which uh, certainly it sounds like we're going to see more of the Gorn this season. So I wonder yeah, if they, that will they, come up. They leave one to tell the tale of the, the horror of the Gorn. So that was literally like, I don't even remember, like 15 minutes into the pilot. And you don't know who any of those characters are, you know? So it was like, I just didn't pick up on it at all the first time. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting detail. That kind of gives more explanation to like why Una so wants to help that girl get back to her family. Cause she you mean Laon, not Una? Yeah. Or, La- yeah, Laon. Um, that makes more sense. Or it's, yeah. yeah I, I have trouble keeping their names in my head, too. I always get those two mixed up, Una and yeah. Laon. Well, I guess I didn't even put two and two together. Yeah, because what's that girl's name? Anyway, we, so is she the last one? I guess she is. That the She's the one that the Gorn left alive? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. I didn't... See, that's why I do this, because I learn something every time. 
Anyway, so that was my quick note from my brief rewatch of season one. The episode opens, we get a nice recap of season one, which you should all have watched before you're listening to this. And the episode opens with some shuttles, like a fancy CG shot of some shuttles flying around Starbase One. We see more of those domes with trees, like that sort of agricultural habitat that they've built around this Starbase. I have to say that, uh, I mean, I get what they're doing. This is the first episode of the season. We're going to, you know, uh, the you know captain's log was pretty dry because he's talking about you know we're basically just upgrading the enterprise not much not much action to start this season too so yeah we have this whole intro scene with these shuttles like hot dogging around like yeah for no reason at all there was a bunch (laughs) of them too like it was a dozen it wasn't like one or two just like flyboys out flying around it was like they were going to town yeah and i'm you know this is this space dock there's got to be a million regs on you know, how close you can be and right. clearances and air traffic control stuff. <laughs> They're just like zipping all over the place and doing barrel rolls for no reason. It was great. So uh, Pike basically says, yeah, like you said, so the enterprise is still in space dock there at Starbase one, if I didn't already say it. And she, he, he says that chief fleet inspector Commander Pelia and her team from operational support services are running comprehensive inspections, system checks, and upgrades. So they're basically just getting the tune-up, which if you remember from season one is basically exactly how last season started. They were getting like OS upgrades and whatnot on the Enterprise, and then they had to leave early because they were going on a... Or who was it? It was Admiral Roberts? April. Robert April yeah. basically came and said the same sort of thing, like, you gotta go right now. Yeah, this is a very evergreen Star Trek thing. Um Star Trek, the motion picture starts with them like getting their refit. Star Trek Two: the Wrath of Khan starts with the Enterprise getting a refit. <laughs> Star I Trek. had that exact same thought. Like there's because there's so, when the, the shuttles are flying around, there's kind of like a slow shot of both the Starbase and the Enterprise. And it does feel very, you know, like artistic, like like the scene in in the original motion picture where there's that super long shot of the enterprise just in the space dock, just cause they wanted to show off yeah, how fancy every they're... time you think they've, they can't possibly have another yes. camera angle. They shot this from, Oh yeah, they do. Yeah, it did. It felt exactly like that. So, and, uh, Pike ends his voiceover and he says, I sense a tension here among the brass that I can't pin down the feeling that something is in the air. And then we see Pike on a video call with Una. So we immediately jump into the Una plotline, and he, he's basically trying to find her a lawyer. And she says that she can't get whoever this fancy lawyer that they want to hire, um, she won't answer the phone. Yeah. And so Pike basically says, okay, I'm going to go knock on her door. And Una's like, uh, she's like three days across the galaxy from where you are. You can't just go knock on her door. And he's basically, he's like, watch me. Yeah. So... Pike and, is. and I just say I'm I'm a little concerned because, you know, this is an ensemble show. The original series ran into a lot of trouble just because it was the Kirk show. Always It was always about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. None of the other cast really ever got to do anything. And right out of the gate here is season two, which is just all Pike. <laughs> you know, we're not going to, you know, we're just all in on Pike right from the go here. And I mean, I want to Until- see some other characters do some stuff, you know? Until, yes, scene two, and then we don't see Pike for the rest of the episode. Uh, Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) 
They, um, yeah, they they basically. I mean, yeah, Pike is on screen for what sixty seconds, thir- maybe thirty seconds tops. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's gone. Pike I will is, say, I, Pike I is not him. appearing in this episode. <laughs> so yeah, what what do you think that is? Why do you think in the in like the season premiere, the most popular character? It's an odd choice to just have Pike just nope out for the entire, almost the entirety of the first episode back. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. That is a good point. I didn't think about this being the pilot and he's just like, all right, you're on your own. I'll be back. Maybe. What we see next is we see, so Pike goes and tells Spock what he's going to do. Like I'm going to go, you know, real quick and head across the galaxy. I'll be back in a couple days. Spock is going to have to be acting captain, and he's kind of concerned. He was like, I don't know if you know this, but half of the crew is still on shore leave. And (laughs) Pike responds, well, my first reaction is, dude, you're at space dock. Like, you're surrounded by a million people. Like, half of your ship systems aren't even upgraded. You can't go anywhere if you want to, really. But he's, like, all concerned that, you know, he can't handle this. Yeah, I would think he'd be all right when, yeah, there's almost guaranteed nothing's going to happen. Right. And Pike says, you know, ominously, you won't even have to leave space dock. And, and I think Spock even responds, isn't that a famous, or is yeah, that a says, human expression, famous last yeah, words? Right. So uh, you'll never guess what happens next. They have to leave space dock. <laughs> Shocking, right? Does, does some emergency come up and they, they have to, they're the only ship that could possibly respond to it? Well, yes, let's, let's talk Starfleet about it. Starfleet only has one ship at a time. You know that, right? Right, indeed. Especially at a star base. Yeah, like now once in a while, by... yeah. they build another one if there's going to, you know, if they're going to rendezvous with the Enterprise, they might build another one, but then it's never seen again. For sure. They wasn't just it... recycle it, and then they're they disposable. It, you know? Yeah. Are you are you talking about the distress signal from uh, La'an that, yeah. that makes them... Like so, isn't that more of like a personal mission? Because it's from they they realize it's from Laon and hundred percent, yeah, it, it so, is. But you know, it, so yes, I get passed it on to, to them, else. But, right? Like another ship in the fleet could go take care of this. Like, well, he even we're jumping ahead a little bit, but like Spock even tries to, right? So we see. All right, let's let's power yeah. through this. So we see a quick shot of Spock and Mbenga in sickbay and. Uh, Mbenga says, increased heart rate, heightened pain in the neck, jaw, and lower back. If I didn't know better, I'd say you were experiencing what we humans call stress. Like, Spock has been captain, I don't even know, like a half of a day, a day maybe, in Starbase, where literally nothing has happened. He's and he's already so relegated sick, to he's sick in bay. sick bay. Like, <laughs> dude, get this kid, or get this guy some Xanax or something. He basically, Mbenga gives him like some weird, like, space loot to practice. Like, hey, don't. He, and, and he says, "Don't yeah, don't Vulcans like music? And Spock responds, uh, Vulcans like music for its mathematical properties. And I thought Mbenga had a good line. He was like, oh, because humans use it as a way of channeling emotion into expression. Which I thought was actually a good explanation of music. But yeah. like for Spock, it's just clear, like, black and white, ones and zeros. Like, we just, we just like it for the math, right? Yeah. Well, and Spock playing, I can't remember that, that lute. That Vulcan loot has a name, but Spock playing that is, you know, from the original series. Is it? Okay. Yeah, he, Leonard Nimoy's Spock played the loot too. So. Gotcha. Uh, the scene ends with Chapel walking in and Spock's heart rate immediately goes up on like the, the you know, display or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And Spock just walks out, like just nopes out of the scene. He's like, he can't even handle being the same room as Chapel. Like he just, his heart just palpitates. 
And the, I did note, Twitter. yeah, I, I did note that Chapel tells Mbenga that she wants to apply for some sort of like internship in archaeological medicine, and it's two months away time on Vulcan. Yeah, I want to know what the heck archaeological medicine is. You're like digging up ancient civilizations and studying their medicine. I mean, I well, or it's trying to, you know, ana- alien anatomy based on the fossil record or something. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I just thought it. Was, I mean, she could have been like, "Oh, I'm going to a conference on you know DNA restructuring or something." This but is probably a totally real thing, and we're just idiots who haven't heard of it. Yeah. And uh, we cut to the bridge. And Ortegas is arguing with the Starbase auditor, and he's telling her, oh, the pitch and yaw controls are reversed from standard. And Ortegas is like, standard positions aren't quick enough, and I don't like getting shot, so I adjusted them. Yeah, because you wouldn't want the ship to be as maneuverable as it can be. You would obviously set limits on that in the controls, I also don't think, like, if you're a pilot, like, you get to, like, flip... You don't get to flip the... It's not like a PlayStation where you flip the controls for each pilot, do they? I don't know. Because there's going to be a day where she's not the pilot, right? She said her input sensitivity. Yeah, right. Her mouse look (laughs) is too high. Yeah. The next guy is going to, like, go to pilot the Enterprise, and they're going to do a barrel roll, and he's going to be like, what the hell's going on? Or she's a heathen, and she likes it inverted. Yeah, there you go. I just thought it was... Wait, wait, wait. You don't play inverted? What? Oh no! I'm not a low life. Oh my god! There's only one way, man. You clearly didn't grow up uh, playing, uh, you know, X-wing and shit. Yeah. Now you're crossing uh, franchises. I know. Uh, we see a different auditor who wants to install a comms update. You know, basically they're doing a firmware update on the comms. Uduhura is really worried that that will take down all comms. And the auditor is like, his line is, no offense, but we're in space dock. How many hails are you getting? Which is totally, is just great. Like, he's like, lady, I got to do my job. I got to update this firmware. And that's totally legit. Like, who's calling you guys? You're in You have nothing to do. And she's like, well, hang on. Let me set up a backup communication channel. Like, oh, my God. These people are anal. Like, just let these guys do their jobs. I know this is a scene because like we we spent most of last season with her going like, I don't know about this whole Starfleet thing. So and, this yeah. is our she's all in now to the point where she can't even have her comms go down in space dock for a couple of hours. Did you happen to notice there's a, that right there at that scene? It, you see her uh, like from the back looking down on her com, like her basically her terminal. Did you notice how crazy big and complicated her terminal was? Yeah, there's a lot going on there. For I was looking at, I mean, it's probably four feet wide and two feet tall, kind of like semi-circle. There's, I mean, I don't know, like probably 300 buttons or dials on that thing. I was like, this is a crazy complicated panel. It's not just a keyboard and a mouse or whatever, you know. Like, I remember watching, like, Wesley, like, you know, launch the Enterprise in, in Next Generation. And that old interface, I mean, I don't know, it's got, like, maybe 30 or 40 buttons on it. But, like, yeah, whatever Uhura had was, like, this crazy complicated setup i just thought it was interesting the way they did the shot from behind, over her shoulder and you just see this sprawling system that i she think had. they're trying to make it so that it, it's more than just she she hits the button when someone says hailing frequencies open yeah because you, you got to give a reason for that person to be there so you know they've they've made her a linguistics expert which i mean it makes sense that's that's an obvious way to have this person be an expert who's you know 
you need this person on the ship because they're able to contribute to the mission, and that's the way they do it. That makes sense. Because otherwise, if it's literally just someone to open the hailing frequencies, you know, you could have Alexa do that for you. Yeah, good point. And uh, as we alluded to earlier, the next thing we hear, Uhura actually has to walk to Spock's quarters. Uh, he is there practicing the space loot. And uh, he was like, couldn't you have just called me? And of course not. The comms are down. So somehow they did get a distress signal, which I assume that's probably with the, the backup channel that Uhura was talking about. So maybe it was a good thing that she had that channel, but that's one of those once in a million shots, right? Yeah. And th- so they get a distress signal. Um, they're not entirely sure who it's from. I mean, they think it's from La'on. There's some you know, question about whether or not it's a, a trick or not. But it's a distress signal from La'on in Kajitar space, which is on the edge of Klingon space. And they're like, all right, we got to go right now. So Spock calls uh, Starfleet, and he was like, we got to go. I got, got this you know, distress signal. And of course, like you said, like, the Enterprise, which is in mid-upgrade of all of its systems, only has half of its crew. Like, he's like, we have to go right now. Like, there's no other ships they could have sent. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But Starfleet clearly will not let them go. Like, no, this is, it's not, we don't know if this is real. You know, like, you're not, you're, you're not in a position to go. So, no, you cannot go on this distress call. And it's, you know, it's this volatile region. It's It's politically sensitive. The Klingons and us have this... Shaky truce. We're not supposed to go there right now. We could very well start a war if we do. We're not going to do it based on this rando message you got that could be from anybody. So what, which which makes total sense. It's a hundred percent very sound position yeah. that Starfleet's taken here. The 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 message they get from Laon is, and I quote: "Dangerous situation on Kajitar Four. Resources of Enterprise critical. Anti Federation threat." That's what he tells Starfleet. At no point in there is it, OMG, I'm going to die if you don't get here in the next, like, you know, day. Right, right. That he's willing to drop everything and risk his entire career to, like, go on this mission, right? Yeah. But that's what they do. So we see, uh, so Spock has been essentially chastised by Starfleet and he basically calls the crew together and says, Hey, I want to go on this mission anyway. Cause we really got to go rescue Laon, which doesn't really make any sense. Cause like, it's not like Spock has any specific relationship with Laon. Like if it was chapel, maybe he'd be a little more impulsive to go. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I guess they, that might be why they've played up that his emotions are affecting him so that we kind of look past the fact that, yeah, he's taking some pretty irrational actions here based on not, you know, not a lot of input. I mean, again, it's one thing if, like, you know, they got sent a a message that it's her on screen saying, oh, my God, like, you know, I'm going to die in two days if you guys don't come get me or something. But this really vague, like, hey, I could kind of use the Enterprise's help message seems a bit much for him to just throw everything overboard to go off and do this. So, yeah, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I wrote well. So Spock's line is he's trying to convince you know the crew that he to go along with him, and he says we must steal the Enterprise. Which number one is a really weird phrase. Like they're not stealing. Right. I mean, why don't they just say what you know we're going to go on an unsanctioned mission? Just the word "steal" feels weird to me. Right, and it's also and- it, it clearly super illogical, and this is not at all what you expect out of Spock. So I was like, what the heck is going on? Like it's just kind of right. weird. I- 
And all of them are all in on this from go. Yeah, right. No one's got any reservations. No one has any questions. No one says, boy, man, you know, yeah, I guess we got to help her, but man, we're going to be in trouble. This is going to suck. Like, they're just like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, this is 100% a court-martialable offense, right? Dishonorable discharge. If they go on this mission and something happens, like, they're all done. Forget something happens. If they just, if they get, like, halfway and go, you know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea, and they turn around and go back, they're still all going in the brig. Right. This is a terrible idea from, like, yeah, yeah, second number one. So the only other thing I noted about this scene is they're in, I don't even know what that room is, like essentially like their planning room or, you know. And did you notice that as they're all sitting around that there's a, there's like shelves in the back with a bunch of art, like with vases and flower vases? and No, I didn't see that. There's glass cups like in a little container, like, you know, they're going to have water or something. It's all completely loose on the shelves. I can't, I'm just like, watch I'm, th- this ship. You know, this thing is going to get in a fight at some point, And all of this stuff is going to go flying off the shelves. Like I always think of the enterprise, like a fishing vessel, right? Like if you're on a deep sea voyage, yeah, everything's you're deep bolted sea, down. Yeah. Do your, everything is yeah bolted down. But like, like if you're in that room and like you get any sort of turbulence, you're literally dead because the stuff is going to be flying all over. Right. <laughs> And well, that that's they have like extra inertial dampeners in that room. Just <laughs> Yeah, there's like the in engineer like the engineering manual is like, look, the inertial dampers are important, like keep them up, but especially on deck four. We like, need to keep this flower vase. Them go down. <laughs> yeah. We hear Pike doing the litany again. Did you notice that the the uh, intro is different this season? Yeah, slightly different. They've they've tweaked it a bit. Yeah, not a ton. There's maybe like some of the backdrops, you know, of the Enterprise flying through or around different planets. I'd say about 40% is new. So I had to watch both of them side by side because it's mostly the same, but they did actually update it. So it's not the exact yeah. same intro from the first one. We see the... Uh, do we know who that the Asian lady that triggers the containment leak is? Yeah, she's been. I I, I kind of hope they do something with her character this season. She's uh, Ensign Mitchell. Um, she's been around. She was in several episodes in season one. They just haven't really given her much to do. I did not recognize her, but uh, yeah, she's so she she's to been on the ship the whole time. And she's just kind of a background character, unfortunately. So I wonder, I mean, is she just filling in because Hemmer's gone and they don't have a chief engineer, maybe? No, like, she's she's been on the bridge crew. She's been, huh. like, I don't know if she's, like, the navigator or what, but I'm not sure exactly. You know, she's in, like, the, the Chekhov position from the original series. Anyway. Oh, okay. So, yeah, she's she's been in the chair uh, next to Ortegas the whole time. Hmm. Or at least most of the time. I think they've they've had a couple other people do it, but it's mostly been her. Um, well, this yeah, is the I mean, most action she's ever actually had. So, so she she's been in, she's been in five episodes. Okay, but yeah, they they keep giving her kind of short shrift. I, I anyway, what's her, what's her name? Mitchell. Mitchell. So Mitchell goes to the engineering, and she basically triggers essentially a fake containment leak. We hear Uhura do a shipwide voiceover to evacuate because of this containment leak. They're basically trying to get everybody off the ship so they can, quote-unquote, steal the Enterprise. And right about then, we see uh, Pelia, 
who was played by Carol Kane, who we know will later be the chief engineer on this season now that Hemmer is gone. She walks onto the bridge basically with a clipboard, finishing her inspection. And Spock is Spock says, I am alarmed at your lack of concern. And Pelia responds, at what? At the textbook signs of a warp core breach? So clearly she knows, you know, her way around, you know, engineering, and she's not having anything to do. She's not fooled for a second. Not even one second. They've done, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? I made a note about uh, Pelia's voice. I mean, Carol Kane. So Carol Kane kind of has a unique voice to begin with. Yeah, and it's basically just Carol Kane's voice. She's just leaning into it a little more. Yeah, but I, I kind of I, I made a note like she has kind of like a kid's Russian accent. She has this weird accent. Yeah, it's really sing songy. It's and yeah. and, then, and it also is kind of guttural at times too. It's it's always been she's had this really unique kind of timber to her voice. I it seems like they really just kind of invented this backstory as a reason why Carol Kane sounds like Carol Kane because it doesn't really fit with. <laughs> the whole Star Trek thing. Oh, you mean the fact that she's she's not human? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and they, oh, they keep talking about her accent. I, I think they just kind of created this construct around which she can sound like Carol Kane, and it's it's okay, and no one's going to question it. But sure, okay. Anyway, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm withholding. Ju- she didn't. She wasn't around the episode much. We didn't see a whole lot of her. Right. She basically had like. Two scenes that that this this scene we're we're seeing, and then another scene later in the episode towards the very end. It it is weird. Her her voice is weird, like you said. She's kind of got a weird voice to begin with, and then she has like this kind of weird accent too. And I, yeah, yeah. I, it turned me off a little bit at the beginning just because it's so different. You know, like it almost feels like she seems like she's in a different show. Yeah, and, and I'll okay. like I said, I'll reserve judgment till we see more of her character. And you know, I'm assuming we're gonna have a. An episode of, you know, a, sorry, I don't even know what her name is. Um, Pelia? Yeah. I, yeah. I assume we'll have like a Pelia focused episode at some point and yeah. I'll be able to, you know, see more, but at least for now, it's kind of like, I don't know. They're definitely setting her character up. They give her a little bit of a story. So that comes up later. So so she actually, Pelia actually realizes what's going on. She knows that this warp car breach is bogus and she basically she says, "Oh, can you guys, can you vent ionized plasma from the warp nacelles?" And Ortegas is like, "Uh, yeah, I can, but that's really weird." And they basically he convinces or she convinces her to do it. They do that. It freaks out the starbase. They retract the docking clamps because they think there's going to be some sort of explosion. Yeah, they're like, "Hey, get a, get away! You need to give us a little bit of space because you're venting plasma." And, oh, and I think at one point Pelia says that she taught at Starfleet. She taught a class on either warp cores or warp core breaches. So she's got. She not only has she been an engineer, but she also has some education in her. I assume that's why she's working at the starbase now. Yeah, and she says so. She they disconnect the docking clamps, and Pelia basically says. Hey, uh, I see you guys don't have a chief engineer. Since we're going to steal the Enterprise anyway, you mind if I tag along? And her line is, it's been a hundred years since I've gone out with engines of my own. It's a long story, a really long story. And then there's kind of this pause. So they're setting up like her character a little bit. But Pelly is like just immediately on board. Like, sure, you want to commit mutiny? Like, I'm on. I have never met any of these people, but why not? Right. And then as she's she's leaving the bridge, and they're like, sure, you're in. 
Uh, she's leaving the bridge, and Uhura says, oh, I, I got it. I've got your accent. Uh, it's Lanthanite. And she says something like, yep, you, you know, you're right on the money or something, and then she leaves. As far as I'm aware, Lanthanite is not a race that we've heard of before. No, it's not. Not anything So I'm I looked, yeah, this okay. is the first mention of it in the canon. And uh, that's the end of the scene, because we don't need to talk about Spock saying, I would like the ship to go now, because that's just weird. I think we talked about Do you guys want to talk about that again? I'll just say that, you know, I dunked on it in our uh, little mini review of the trailer. And uh, in context in the episode, it didn't go any better than I thought it would. Yeah. I agree. It was it's a it's a bad line. It doesn't make any sense that Spock would do that. He's not an idiot. He's he's a little he doesn't really quite understand how humans behave, but he's seen enough of it to know that he gets what they're referring to. He's seen Pike say hit it a million times. Well, it also felt long too. Like they're kind of right. in a hurry. Like let's get this the episode moving yeah, along. Yeah, like, it was. And they're just trying to do a cool Spock moment. Oh look, Spock doesn't understand humans. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, he's, um, he's basically a child, you know. Right. But all they had to do is just have him say something really wooden and just like you know whatever. Yeah. And it, it, they could have done that joke without making it. You know, that's a good point. If he had just said, let's go, or even go now, you know, yeah. just sort of, like you said, dry and wooden, like that would have made more sense, right? Right. It just felt stupid and drawn, unnecessarily drawn out. Like they were trying to make a point out of this and it didn't need to be. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Not, not we, to be we, a dead horse. We already talked yeah. about it. It actually, it reminded me of the line from 30 Rock when uh, Liz says, uh, I want to go to there. <laughs> that would have worked better. Stupid. That would have actually that would have been great. It would have right. Yeah. That would have been a hundred percent spot on for Spock. Yeah. The next scene, we are down on some planet, which we assume is Kajitar, because we see Laon. She is doing a drinking game with a Klingon male named Kurdach, and that totally reminded me of the scene from Indiana Jones where they're doing the drinking game, and you think. Oh, what's the lady's name in Indiana? You think she's going to drop out and it's, you know, the other guy ends up dropping out. Yeah. The Klingon basically ends up throwing up. Did you notice I was, I was a little nervous in this scene. Did you notice the Klingon forehead ridges looked totally different than what we're used to? Yeah. I actually saw an article about this that, uh, yeah. Strange new worlds has basically abandoned the experiment that discovery has been doing with it and just gone back to, kind of the generic Klingon look. Yeah. So I was worried when I saw those, I'm like, Oh my gosh, are we going to do this? Like, where are we going with this? Can we just leave the Klingons alone? It's explained a little bit later, but I was nervous when I first saw it. Like these Klingons, like, are they trying to make this a whole different, you know, whatever universe multiverse. Anyway, uh, a woman shows up and Laon basically says, you know, gives her some money and says, I want a meeting with gray who we learn later is basically an armed dealer on this planet. So Laon is basically trying to broker a deal on this planet for some type of arms. But again, not in any sort of danger, not in distress signal type of, oh my gosh, get the Enterprise over here and risk all your careers to help me out, right? Right, and I don't even know what she needs the Enterprise for because yeah. 
she's like, yeah, I'm going to try, I'm trying to broker this arms deal. I know there's this group that's maybe trying to start this war, but I have no earthly idea how they're doing it or when, but I really need the enterprise, but I don't know. I have no, no I have nothing I need you to do. I'm going to go do this deal and try yeah. to get more information. And maybe you guys can help with the medical situation a little bit, as long as you're here. I, I agree. This not, felt yeah. really weird to me. Yeah, they. she's got really no reason why she needs him there at that point. And once they show up, she doesn't have anything she's asking them to do. So <laughs> I don't know why she called them, but okay. It, it makes for better television if the, the Enterprise is there and in peril than sitting in Starbase is the only thing I can Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we, need, we need a reason for the Enterprise to show up here. I get that, but uh, come up with one. <laughs> You you get to write whatever you want, <laughs> like yeah. As far as I understood, like she's she saw a she saw a bunch of people getting sick from this like photon sickness, you know, which tells her that they have this like third party syndicate has a bunch of Federation tech, including photon torpedoes. So I guess that's supposedly a big deal, which would and and she also. Um, surmises that they're trying to start the war up with the Klingons and the Federation again, which is a big deal. I get, you know, uh-huh. right. Um, so, so it seems that that was enough, I guess, urgency. Um, again, her message but, to the enterprise was dangerous situation on Kajitar four resources of enterprise, critical anti-Federation threat. I mean, I get maybe she was trying to be vague so that she didn't give it up on the comms, but again, it doesn't seem like there was nothing imminent. Like, you know, we're going to start yeah. this war in three days if you're not here to stop it, right? It's anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, we see uh, the crew finally gets to Kajitar 4. They meet up with La'on. La'on mentions she's found Oriana's parents. Oriana's the little girl that she was saving from the Gorn. Her parents were got, got, there was an explosion at the mine they were working at. They got ion exposure from the mine and they are sick. They're in the med tent. Uh, uh, Mbenga mentions that ion exposures, you can't get that from a dilithium mine, but probably from to- to- proton torpedoes. Uh, Chapel and Mbenga then tour the tents. They're going to go check on or- Oriana's parents because they are obviously both doctors. The tents, it, it looks very much like a refugee camp. Uh, you know, it's out in the open, and there's clearly a lot of people that are hurt. And as they're touring through this, you know, medical tent or medical section, some Klingons show up and, and basically, you know, I sense kidnap them and tell them that we could use your services and drag them away at gunpoint. And then it cuts back to La'an at Spock and Uhura, and they are at a weapons meeting. Well, I should say La'an is at a weapons meeting, and Spock and Uhura are basically spying. So, so, so sorry, before we move on, can I just okay. say, you know, we ended season one with these big things happening. You know, La'an's going to go off with, the, you know, she's taking le- a leave of absence from Starfleet. She's going to go off with this girl to try to find her parents, and it's this big deal because she's leaving the ship. And now we've basically resolved that one episode in. Oh, not even that, one episode. We're like yeah, 25 like, minutes into yeah, the episode we, we and it's see her, done. She's like, oh yeah, I, t- I totally found her parents. No problem. Here, we, we're d- I'm done. I'm, I'm good. I'm coming. And back. her parents are alive. I mean, I suppose they're sick, yep. but I mean, it's yep. not like found I have them. to adopt we're this good. kid or anything. Yeah. Yep. No, nope. everything's, everything's just taken care of. We're fine. 
And, you know, Pike has gone off on his little personal leave uh, in this episode. I'm sure episode two is just going to be Pike gets the lawyer to, to you know, uh, agree to take on Laon's La- case or Una's, Una's case, case. Sorry. And that's going to be episode two. And we're just, everything's going to be wrapped up in a neat little package. And episode three, we're back. Stranger Worlds time again, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I that is a fantastic summary because that was a lot of yeah right I mean it was just completely wrapped up like it was no big deal I, I don't begrudge them having tried to do these bigger things but and I also don't begrudge that they clearly just want to do an episode of the week show so just do that don't tie yourself down with these big plot changes that you then just undo immediately because that's not really the show you want to do. Yeah, it feels messy, like like it wasn't supposed to go that way, or maybe the actors were maybe not, like, their contracts weren't signed or something like that. Yeah, um, maybe. I get yeah. back immediately. I, I really like what Stranger Things did in season four, um, where all the characters were separated, like, to shake things up a bit, and they could have done they could have done something, that, you know, that's kind of what I was hoping for, like, having a, a longer arc trying to get the crew back together, you know, sort of right. thing. But that's, you know, I think that works in Stranger Things because it's in season four. We've done three seasons already, which basically had the same formula every time. And they clearly were like, all right, we got to mix this up a little bit. If we just do the same thing again, people are going to get bored with this. So let's shake it up. I don't know for season two, you really needed to mess with it too much. The formula is what we're looking for more of at this point. So Yeah, that's true. They didn't need to. Yeah. So they weird. they could eat. I mean, if they had just stretched it out like literally one episode, right? Yeah, you know, like maybe they spend the first episode like tracking her down, and then in the second episode they go and you know save the day, and then they're all reunited. That's fine, but it's right. like yeah. this is literally not even halfway through the episode, and like you said, that plot line is is wrapped up. Like they yeah, it wasn't much of a cliffhanger. Deal. Big deal that she's leaving the Enterprise, and then the whole reason she's going happens entirely off screen, right? She's like, oh, yep, yeah, nope, I took care of that. I'm good. And it didn't even sound like she didn't, well, they didn't explain it, but it didn't even sound like it was hard. It was basically no. like, yeah, like, found her yeah, parents, we're good. Up in the, in the Galactic Yellow pages, and that right. was that. <laughs> <sighs> oh, well. All right, so we see uh, Laon is doing this weapons deal with, what was the guys? I, we're assuming this is Greynax. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a Klingon, and she basically says, that I only have half of the weapons, you know, that you were expecting. And oh, by the way, I want double the price in the Klingon, you know, so there's what, three Klingons there, maybe four and, and Laon. So it's four on one. And she's like, you know, playing yeah, hardball with them these guys. She doesn't have the ability to get a hold of all these weapons. She said she has. So, and he was like, oh, I'm basically like, I'm just going to kill you because that's four on one. And she pulls out, you know, whatever, some sort of like, fancy led that makes grenades or you know power up sounds and and gets them to back down by saying she has an antimatter detonation switch which she later says isn't even a thing that exists right it sure sounds like it but I you know I hey, whatever <laughs> the the klingons basically they're like all right fine i'll pay you double whatever um the, but uhura does mention because you know she's off her and and uh Spock or behind something, you know, spying on this discussion. And Uhura mentions that as a linguist, she notices that this is an obscure Klingon dialect. She may have even have said what it was, 
But what we're what we're led to believe uh, later in the episode is that these are Klingon uh, like separatists, and you know they're essentially they're an offshoot of the Klingons. So yeah. which I think is what explains why they look a little bit different is that they are you know perhaps some sort of different faction of Klingons that we have yeah. not seen before. I'm assuming. And once you know that that's wrapped up and they get a little more information, Spock decides he's like, okay, now that we know what's going on here with the weapons and that what the Klingons are trying to do, like let's beam up. And he calls the Enterprise and he says, Chief J, can you beam us up? And do you guys like am I the only one that thought Chief J looked like he was fourteen? Yeah. Looked real young. Like he would look really, really young. And my first question is, well, where's Chief Kyle? Not that he had a huge part in the first season, but yeah, he had but one we, job and that was doing transporters. And he was basically in every transporter scene, but now they've I mean, replaced they, yeah, him. Yeah, they went out of their way to establish that character. And now apparently he's he's been promoted or something. Maybe we he's got a 14-year-old intern or something. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah, how old is this, this actor that's playing Chief J? Uh, tw- 21, 22. Okay, so in TV age, yeah, that's literally very, 14, right? Yeah, pretty much. He looks really young. I mean, not that I care that he's young. It just I kind of felt weird that you've got yeah. whoever this person is is very young running the transporters. You know, maybe it's maybe Chief Kyle's still on shore leave or, you know, yeah, maybe that's knows? what they're going for with this is that the crew isn't all there. Anyway. Yeah. Mm. We cut down to the surface and Mbenga and Chapel, who have now been, you know, kidnapped by these Klingons and they are being led into this cave where this is what we're told is the dilithium mine. And there is a huge cave. Like it is largely been excavated. And I think one of the characters says it's been decades of dilithium mining to get a cave this large. And we see a Federation ship being built in the cave you know, it looks, you know, Enterprise-esque. It has a saucer section and some nacelles, so it's very clearly yeah. a Federation ship. And they're like, well, how did how did that, that ship get in here? You know, I mean, the opening to this cave is not enough, you know, that you could get it in here. And they determine that it's been built there. Yeah. So whatever's going on in this cave, they've been, you know, constructing this ship in place, sort of like a ship in a bottle. Which might explain why there was an explosion in the mine with the torpedoes that, you know, poisoned Oriana's parents. So there was probably some sort of mishap when they were attempting to arm this ship. Yeah. And they're building it in a big cave with a bunch of separatists who probably don't know what they're doing. Yeah, right, with Federation technology. Oh, I guess that explains why the Klingons wanted all the Federation weapons. They wanted this to look realistic. Yeah. Because ultimately the Klingons' plan is they're going to make what looks like a Federation ship and then use that Federation ship to attack a Klingon ship, which will then start the war up because they're in contested space to begin with. So it's, it's a, um, I think actually doesn't, they say that in the next, the next season, they actually call it a false flag where they're going to use the ship as a fake to start this war up. Yeah. Spock refers to it as a false flag operation. We cut to the interior of the ship's medical bay and we see um, that Klingons have, Pulled Mbenga and Chapel in a little bit farther. They want them to treat a couple Klingons that are in medical the medical bay, probably after this explosion. And Spock's or not Spock, Mbenga's line. You know, he's got a tricorder over this. 
you know, the back of one of these Klingons and his line is, fortunately, your dermal system is redundant. Yeah. Your dermal system is your skin. <laughs> so why would Klingons have redundant skin? But whatever. They're they're built for you know they're built for combat, man. They've got uh, oh, redundant. I guess that makes sense. I just thought it was kind of weird. Like I mean, you have redundant lungs and redundant kidneys, but redundant skin. Like all right, hey, they got armor. And uh, Mbenga, actually, the the Klingons, you know, kind of breaking Mbenga's balls. He's like, how do you know how to treat Klingons? And Mbenga says, oh, I treated Klingons before on Jagal. And yeah. the Klingon doesn't believe him. He's like, no, you weren't there. If you were, you'd be dead. And uh, Mbenga responds, do you remember, Jagal? There was so much blood in the air that the rain turned red. Yeah. And Mbenga kind of has this, like, faraway look on his eyes. So, like, he clearly yeah, he, has he some gets, PTSD. He gets the thousand-yard stare big time, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the first, like, real explanation we have of Mbenga having any sort of military background. Yeah, right? this or- has not come up before. And you'd think it might have, but, yeah, Um Clearly, he's he's got some PTSD. <laughs> well, I, I think even well, I mean, I think Chapel does as well, right? She just right. maybe handles it a little bit better. Yeah, maybe. So uh, Chapel has you know used her tricorder or whatever, and has detected that there are torpedoes on the ship that they're on. So we're getting a little more explanation of why there was that explosion, and they're realizing how much of a threat this ship is going to be, and they decide that they want to get to the bridge to alert the Enterprise as quickly as possible so they can come up with some sort of solution to this. And, you know, they're, they're on this, what, sick bay, I guess, and they're trying to figure out, they're surrounded by Klingons, and they're like, what are we going to do? And Umbenga like, pulls out, like, this vial of green liquid, and he says, "Dude, you wait, 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 wait! You didn't know that Starfleet officers just always carry around like Captain America super soldier serum with them." Oh, I just assumed it was Hulk serum because it's great. But yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. whatever. Yeah, and it's standard issue. It's Mbenga who says, "You know, this can help us get there if it's important enough." And then he hands Chapel this vial, and she looks at him and she says, "Do you ever not carry it?" So she immediately knows what this is, which, I mean, we, the audience, don't know, and I've never seen it come up before. But I think the point is that they were essentially in the war together, and this was a thing either that they were given or that they invented or whatever that they would use, and it's, you know, what, probably adrenaline and whatever. And they take it, both of them, they inject their Hulk serum into their shoulders or whatever. Their pupils get really big. And then they basically go like Wolvie Berserk style and just destroy like six Klingons, right? Right. So, so the implication here is that Mbenga, you know, and Chapel got into got into some serious scrapes in the war with the Klingons and were like some kind of I don't know were they like a special forces squad or so, I mean something. I doubt like the rank and file have this crazy go juice, and then. Not only that, but then Umbenga just constantly carries around a couple of vials with, of this stuff with him ever since, just in case he has to fight some Klingons. So, well, that's a good point because, like, Chapel must know that he carries this because her line is, "Do you ever right. not carry it?" Like, right. So, he's a doctor. Like, he's on the Enterprise. Like, but he what is, is he ready need? to throw down if those yeah. Klingons start some trouble, man. <laughs> And she at one point even says to him, like, you know, hey, the war's over. And he's like, how can it be over? Right. Like, so 
just like, let me at them Klingons. Well, I mean, uh, it works because like hey. they pretty much destroy a bunch of Klingons in this sick bay. And then kind of out in this hallway, too. And they leave one alive, and Umbenga's interrogating him, trying to figure out where the bridge is. And, like, Chapel actually has to stop him, basically, from killing this Klingon. And she yells at him. She says, Joseph, Joseph. Which, as far as I'm aware, is the first time we've heard Umbenga's first name? Did you, I don't remember. Uh, Maybe no, we've, we've heard it before. Okay. okay. But I don't know if we've heard her call him Joseph before, but we've heard his name. Uh, so the the Klingon basically says there's 30 soldiers on this ship. You know, Mbenga's trying to figure out how many, you know, how much resistance they're going to have. He says there's 30 soldiers on the ship and, you know, whatever, the, the, the transponders on bay, you know, bridge 14 or something like that. And Mbenga just straight up just punches him and knocks him out. Right. And so Mbenga and Chapel are going to reprogram the transponder to send a distress call to the Enterprise to let them know that something's going on on this ship. And right about then, some more Klingons show up, and they open this access hatch in the floor, and there's kind of like a weird camera flip as yeah, they this was jump really through weird. it. Yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell if this was supposed to be like they just did some superpower stuff and that's why it looked like that. Or if it was just the director having some fun with the camera or what, but it was weird. I, I, I don't know. I still, hey, I'm, I'm glad I did. Cause I had watched it twice. Like trying to figure out if I miss them. Like it started out, like they flipped it upside down. I'm like, Oh, they're going to shut the gravity off or something. Right. Right. And th- they flip the camera, they fall through this hole, but they fall up and then they land on the floor, which is really the ceiling. And then it unflips. It was just a weird shot. I think it was just the director trying to make it look interesting, but yeah, it, it, it was strange. It, it looked cool. Don't get me wrong. It just yeah. didn't feel like it made sense with that. Did you no. get anything else out of that shot, Jason? No. Yeah. I was, I was confused just the same. Yeah. We see some more, uh, you know, Umbenga and chapel in, you know, this new hallway, I guess. And there's, they're kicking some more Klingon ass. We see Umbenga in slow motion, like walking down the hall, looking like a total badass, which was actually pretty cool. You know, they, and again, the, though, not just looking like a badass, like he's like, I'm gonna get me some, I want to bathe in Klingon blood, man. You, yeah, right. That's a good point. I mean, he was in it. He, you know, he was channeling his inner. Yeah, right. They start to, you know, the juice starts to run out for Chapel. At one point, Mbenga has to rescue her. You know, he like full on body slams this Klingon to rescue Chapel. And, you know, they run down the hall and they're being pursued by some more Klingons. And (laughs) Chapel has to literally hotwire the door. Yeah. Like, like, you know, two exposed wires held together that sparks to close the door. I was like, come on. Hey, hey. And then, yeah, these doors, you know, these Klingons are just about to get into the room and the doors closed. And Umbenga's like, oh, man, like he looks disappointed <laughs> that she got the door to close. Uh, right about then, the ship starts to take off. And so, like, Umbenga and Chapel kind of lose their balance as the, you know, the ship angles itself a little bit. So the audience is alerted that the ship is now in motion. We cut back to the Enterprise bridge just as a Klingon battlecruiser jumps in. And the Enterprise is, you know, they're, what, off-sensors, I guess. I think it's Ortega says that she's hiding, you know, in uh, like an ice field with a bunch of space junk around. 
And I think one of the characters says, you know, is that going to be enough to keep us off their sensors? And she says, I've hidden from enough Klingons to know this is going to be fine. So they are sort of playing it, you know, they're laying low until they know what's going on on this planet. Cause I don't think at this point that they've received the distress call from chapel. Yeah. Yet. And I'm, I'm kind of getting the impression that the, I don't know that, you know, maybe Ortega served in the war as well. Cause she mentions that, you know, yeah, yeah, she's hidden from a bunch of Klingons before. So maybe she's been in combat with them too. Yeah. So oh, do you think, is that what that, the, the weird like finger under the eye thing that, that, Umbenga does to Laon when he first sees her. Is that like some military thing? Maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, okay. that's the thing. Like this is also out of left field that all of a sudden these guys have these like crazy war backstories that we've never heard anything about. Mm. I don't know. Okay. We see the, the fake Federation ship emerge from the, atmosphere of this planet of Kajtar 4. Uh, apparently it's too far away from this Klingon battlecruiser. They have not picked it up yet. The bridge there, they read the launch of a crossfield class ship, which I've not heard of crossfield before. Have you been? No. And it looks different. It looks different than any other. I, I think it's a unique design for this episode. Sure. They basically say like, oh, this ship is totally outclassed like, by this Klingon battlecruiser. You know, they build you know they build they build the enterprise and then they maybe build another one and then throw away the planes and, and start over yeah and they throw it away and they just build a different one so this we saw this crossfield class ship we'll never see crossfield class again we'll never see that ship well that ship yeah. got blown up so we definitely yeah. won't see that one again but uh yeah uh, so the, but the the whatever this crossfield class ship is on route traveling towards the klingon ship cuz it's going to attack it and start this war the the Enterprise does not know what's going on with this ship. The ship has just appeared, essentially. And Uhura reads the transponders that, that Chapel had set up. And she says, she reads them. She's like, something's off with those transponders. And she thinks about it for a second. And then she says that they are broadcasting Morse 2, which I assume is the sequel to Morse code. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I saw that. She specifically yeah. says Morse 2, not Morse code. Right. Not like, oh, all right, it's not Morse code it's, as a it's sequel. It's based Morse. There you go. And the uh, the Morse 2 code says, Enterprise destroyed this ship. So they're kind of confused. Like, wait a second, this ship just showed up out of nowhere. Now we're getting this weird message on this weird transponder to blow it up. They're, they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's going on. So I think a couple of the bridge members, they have a conversation that if the Klingons even see this Federation ship, that it will restart this Klingon uh, Federation war that has just ended. And especially because it's, again, this is hotly contested territory. Oh, there was a mention earlier from, I think it was from Admiral April, where he talks about Kajatar 4. It is a shared ownership between the Federation and the Klingons, and the Klingons get it for 30 days, and then the Federation gets it for 30 days, and then the Klingons get it for 30 it, Like, it bounces back and forth like a, you know, a kid with divorced parents, which seemed kind of weird. There's no way that that would ever be a thing that would exist in a treaty. It just, like, well, trying to make you... that work would be absolute insanity. There's no way that they would ever agree to that. How would the logistics work? Like, you get it, all it your people off yeah, the planet. Right. It's and just, then everybody it's, comes back. Yeah. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that if you think about it for more than two seconds, you're like, wait a minute, how would that even work? Yeah. 
there, oh, there's wow. mention that the extremists are using this Federation ship as a false flag to attack the Klingon. So that the word false flag is used in this. So they're going to, you know, basically, you know, poke the Klingons and make the Federation, make it look like the Federation did it with the intent of restarting this war. Uh, Enterprise decides to chase, to chase the fake Federation ship, but Spock refuses to fire on it yet. Uh, the, actually, the the fake Federation ship is actually firing at the Enterprise as it pursues them. But uh, Ortegas does some fancy spin flying, you know, like she's like full on putting the Enterprise through its paces to avoid these torpedoes. Which I mean, it looks cool. It just doesn't yeah. seem realistic yeah, for a big I, I gigantic ship like that. But I didn't buy it. Again, it did look cool, but I didn't really buy it. Uh, the The ship is getting closer and closer to the Klingon, so Spock's time to destroy the ship is rapidly running out. And he uh, he has not heard from Mbenga and Chapel, and he really doesn't want to shoot at the ship until he knows where they are. Uh, ultimately, he decides he's you know he tells him to shoot, and he actually closes his eyes and cries a little bit. You know, as he gives the order to shoot at this ship, he doesn't even know that Mbenga and Chapel are necessarily on this ship. But well, I mean, he's got reason to believe that they are. I, yeah, okay. They destroy this fake ship, no problem. In the meantime, Mbenga and Chapel are basically on this ship. They're they're looking for you know EV suits or an escape pod or something they can get out of this ship before it gets blown up because they've just told the Enterprise to blow it up. They find a helmet and a jetpack, but they don't find an EV suit. They basically decide that they're going to just jump out this airlock. I think Umbenga says, we have 60 seconds to freeze to death, but don't worry. It'll only take 15 seconds for us to pass out. Yeah. So they just, I mean, they jump straight out into space. Which, like, again, is, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> You're not going to live for 60 seconds in the vacuum of space, but... Right at the last minute, they detect, you know, the transponder as part of the whatever, the jetpack or the helmet, and they, they're they able to beam Umbenga and Chapel semi-frozen uh, back onto the Enterprise. You know, Spock runs to the the transporter room and does CPR on Chapel while crying. Like right. the saddest CPR of all time. I mean, it was, don't get me wrong. It was a good moment between, you know, Spock and Chapel. But number one, he's the captain. They're in the middle of this fight. Like, shouldn't he stay on the bridge? Like, he has people to do that, right? Like, send somebody uh, I'll else. Give, I'll give him that one. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert uh, everyone survives. Umbenga and Chapel uh, survive the space walk, space whatever that they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Barely, but they do. And let's see. They. The Enterprise gets a quick call or a hail from the Klingons. Is it quick? Because Spock has time to run down to sick bay oh, or to true. the transport room, I guess, and then perform CPR in chapel. And then once she's conscious again, you know, it's like, oh, hey, Lieutenant, the uh, the Klingons are hailing us. So presumably on the Klingon ship, you know, their, their sensor officers, you know, hey, Captain, we, you know, a Federation ship just flew out of the, the asteroid field. Oh, there's another one chasing them. Oh, it just blew up the other ship. We really right. should do something about it. Do you want to hail them? He's like, no, no, no. Let me finish my gawk. I'll <laughs> get back to you. Just just chill. It's fine. Like, right. we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to this. Just hold on. And then he, he takes a few minutes to finish up whatever he was doing. He's like, okay, now go ahead and hail them. <laughs> like... 
So, or, or their sensors are really good, and he's like, "Hang on, I can tell these two people are having a moment." <laughs> Great. So let's not interrupt this. Let's wait until after she's cool. The and timing, we'll the time, his timing is flawless because yeah. they they hail and and Spock is back on the on the bridge. You know, Spock basically gives him the story about the separatists and the fake ship, and he was coming to attack you, and blah blah blah. The the Klingon is not believing it because it doesn't make any sense, honestly. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a long shot. Yeah. You know, they go back and forth for a little bit, and basically Spock convinces him, like, hey, I'm a Vulcan, I don't lie. And he says, you know, how about we settle our differences over a barrel of blood wine? And the Klingon's like, yeah, all right, sounds good to me. Yep. It's all good. Yeah, They the next scene is them down on the planet. And, you know, the, the same, essentially that same table that Laon was sitting at earlier. And they're all sitting around drinking blood wine. And the, the Klingons and humans are like super, they're just great friends all of a sudden because they're just having a big old party. So he went from like, OMG, there are two Federation ships that are not supposed to be in this space at all to, okay, we're cool and we're friends in a short amount of time. All it takes is a barrel of blood wine, man. It really brings people together. Really got to wonder then why Starfleet doesn't just keep a barrel of blood wine on every Starfleet vessel. And just do face-to-face meetings all the time. In case you run into the Klingons, just call them, hey, look, guys, I know you're pissed. You're Klingons. You want to fight. We got blood wine. All it takes. Let's do it. Uh, Pelia and Spock are on the planet. I mean, essentially, I guess the whole crew is now on the planet. They're basically... Yeah, everybody's down getting, getting into the barrel of blood wine. And... They are discussing Lanthanites, which, again, is the race that Pelia is. And Spock mentions that the Lanthanites lived on Earth with humans undetected until the 22nd century. So Lanthanites clearly look human. I mean, they could pass for a human visually. Right. And at least what we're learning about this race is, well, we know they live a really long time because Pelia says she's hasn't you know flown a ship in over a hundred years so we don't know exactly how old they are but they're pretty old and that apparently they lived on earth so they were you know chameleoning while they were on earth for a while so i think this is clearly set up for her character like we're going to get a little bit more of her backstory uh yeah i would certainly hope so what i don't understand is why like you know, they don't have to not everything has to be about the old shows i don't expect them to make everything a callback but you already have a race of people who live a long time, look just like humans, and lived amongst humans in the past, which is the Elorians, which is what uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character Guinan is in Next, in Next Generation. So I don't oh, know really? why we're introducing this whole other race that's basically the same as that. Hmm. I don't. Yeah, that I don't get that. I didn't know that's what uh, Guinan was. Yeah, she's they and they did they did whole episodes in Next Generation where they go back in time and Guinan's living on Earth as a human and anyway. Huh. Uh it just yeah, it was like you guys already have this in your your canon. Why would you make another one? So yeah, are the are the uh sorry, the Lutherians, whatever they are. Lanthanites. Lanthanites. Are are the Lanthanites and the Elorians like do they have like like a like a rivalry going like maybe we'll find out it's the same yeah. race and it's just two different names who knows yeah who know i don't know pelia tells spock that his mother spock's mother was one of the first people she came out to 
though again they were living you know incognito with in, as part of the human race and uh Pelia and Spock's mom were apparently friends and she says you want to know the worst thing about living almost forever you know and Spock gives that you know stock answer of oh watching all your loved ones die right and Pelia's like no it's boredom yeah <laughs> which i mean i i guess i, I mean get it makes it. sense yeah. Which also explains why she wanted to go on this mission, right? Like yeah. she's been teaching at Starfleet for a hundred years. She hasn't been on a ship. She's like, ah, I could use a little action. Sure, why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, at some point, people dying is probably like just you've been through it so many times. You're like, yeah, this is what people do. Whatever. But yeah, but you know what's I'm bored? I totally get that. <laughs> you know what's really shitty? Yeah, nothing to do. Yeah. Let's let's go steal a ship. Right. I, hey, I get it. Yeah. Uh, that we see uh, Admiral April and Spock, you know, the, the Enterprise has returned to Starbase One, and Spock is basically getting chewed out by Admiral April for stealing this ship. At one point, Spock tells the Admiral, he's like, can you lower your voice? Right. And my first thought was like, whoa, that's really ballsy. Like, you're telling this guy to, like, tone it down while he's chewing you out for you yeah. just... But and then Robert April goes, "Oh, are you hungover?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's even worse!" Like, right? He's like, "You're too." I know that I'm about to lose my job, but if you're going to yell at me, can you do a little quieter? Because I'm so he's, hungover. Fox, like, hey, look, look. I know I did a mutiny, but it all worked out. Like, I what's stopped the a big war. Deal? Why are you so? Why are you so uptight about this, man? Come on, chill but, out. Ultimately, like you know, the admiral just says, uh, "All right, well, no, no big deal." Just and his line is, "Consider that Klingon hangover your punishment." Yeah, like, only, there, like, there are no consequences. Zero, zero, nothing. You're, and he does like it's not even like okay, you know, next time the Enterprise is in space dock, you're you know you're denied shore leave. Nothing. Yeah. He does say his line is next time it'll be your commission. So you, it's like you get a, a one mutiny, get out of jail free card, but after that you're done. Yeah, wouldn't he have to like power wash the ship or something? Yeah, or, you would sure think something. There's nothing. There's no consequences to this at all. We see a quick scene. Chapel is recovering in sick bay, and <laughs> Spock is there watching her sleep creepily. Crying while he does so. Yes. And Mbenga walks in and he's like, don't worry, she'll be fine. And Spock cries some more and he says, I have no words for what I feel. Yeah. So the whole, like, is he, you know, is he going to be with Chapel? Is he going to go for that? Or is he going to be with T'Pring? The whole big, like, you know, big question that, again, another of these big questions that season one presented to us. Nope, we're answering it in the first episode. He's all in on Chapel. Dude, what what is Spock's deal, man? I mean, like both of the chicks that are he, he they're number one, they're both smoking hot. Number two, they're both like totally into him, and he just he doesn't know what to do. Like that's uh, I mean that's it's a tough spot to be in, man. It's it's not logical. That's yes. He's got to play his emo music on his flute. Oh, that's figure true. It out. I mean, we do know he ends up married to Tapring, right? Uh, no, in, in the original series, he goes back to get married and the wedding doesn't actually happen. Oh, interesting. Okay. Basically, she sets up this whole elaborate scheme to break up the wedding because she doesn't actually want to marry him. 
Oh, I'll have to watch that. Okay. I don't remember my Spock yeah, history. Go, wa- go watch a muck time. It's a good episode. Okay. The, uh, I guess the, the final season scene we see is, uh, the admirals, you know, Robert April that was just chewing out Spock and uh, well, another admiral. I don't think we know who it is. They basically discuss letting Spock get off easy. You know, after the, you know, they shut down the comms, they're having an internal admiral discussion and, you know, they're like, well, essentially we had to let him off easy. And the line is, uh, Robert April's line is, he, ju- he just kept us from potentially having to defend two fronts at the same time, even if he doesn't know it. And there's a slow zoom in on this map that they're looking at. And the map says, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, Galdonter, which I've never heard of. Does that sound familiar to you, Ben? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but the the, the important takeaway is it's the Gorn are, are back. Yes. It, yeah. In fact, it says, it, like in red letters, it says probable object identification. And then it pauses and then it fades in and says Gorn attack ship. <laughs> Yeah. So, yes, clearly the, the Gorn are back, or will be back. So Admiral April's position is that we might be in a war, so things are getting real serious. So we're going to need all the officers that ignore our orders and commit mutiny that we can get our hands on. Right. So, I mean, what are they saying here? So he, the line is, we, he kept us just potentially having to defend two fronts at the same time. So they're saying that the Gorn are essentially probably just about to start a war, and we just narrowly avoided war with the Klingons again? Is that what yes. they're implying? Yeah, that's what he's okay. saying. Is he, they, they prevented this war from starting again with the Klingons, which is good, because we're probably going to be in a war with the Gorn soon. Gotcha. But again, the idea that there are no consequences for this is just absolutely, totally insane. completely unbelievable. Yeah. It's horrible writing. I'm sorry. <laughs> they should have, yeah, there should have been some consequence. I mean, even if it was a slap on the, like, they should have... There should have been something because, yeah, the whole thing is, yeah, your punishment is the Klingon hangover. Like, come on, get out. Yeah, here. or have Whatever. it be that, like, they sent them out there but told them to, you know, told them not to engage with the Klingons. And then, you know, Spock, you know, decides to go farther than he was told to and he, break, you know, kind of defies his orders and... You know, then okay, fine. Maybe he gets a slap on the wrist, or or you know, whatever. But he literally steals a ship, right? And goes off to a place where they told him you cannot go there because you could start a war. I mean, it would have been one thing if he had just stolen the ship, but he specifically went against orders from an admiral. Right? Like, yeah. Right. There's just right. a lot of he would be in the brig. And right. so would all of the other officers. That Anyone went that went along. Right. A hundred percent. So, you know, th- this was just crazy. Well, okay. Devil's advocate. He did prevent, he did prevent a scheme it, to actually. It um, doesn't matter. What the, it doesn't matter. This is, this is the cliche, like, you know, the, 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 the rogue cop does to, so much like damage and, and the, you know, the Admiral, has to like oh begrudgingly <laughs> you know you'll get them next time or whatever but it's just a cliche like type type of right it's really it is a hundred percent um egregious thing in my opinion uh, i'm sorry it's just there there's so many other ways they could have written this that didn't make it uh, they, they could have done a lot of just little things you know like it doesn't yeah. have to be like he's sent to the brig or he's decommissioned like they could have done Something other than your, you know, I hope hope that hangover really is hard on. Right. 
Yeah. It, anyway, no, all right. Just, so yeah. Okay. Real quick, the the episode. So that's that's the end of the episode. It fades to black, and then there is a cool. Uh, so there's text on screen that says. For Nichelle, who was first through the door and showed us the stars, hailing frequencies forever open, which and uh, which is obviously a I don't know what the word is shout out homage I guess to yeah, uh, Nichelle Nichols the original Uhura. I thought that was cool that they gave her. I don't know when she died. I guess I could look it up. It's been um, a while, but this is I think this is the first new Star Trek thing that's been made since she died. Um, that was going to be my question: Is did she? Yeah, is why I believe that's the case. Uh, no, I thought it was really cool. I wish she had a better episode dedicated to her. I thought oh, she, wow, deserved she died. Be- I thought she deserved better. Yeah, she died July thirtieth of twenty twenty two. So I guess it hasn't been as long as I thought. So yeah, yeah. this must have been the first thing that they filmed post. I think death, I so. think it is. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was cool that they gave her a little nod. So yeah, no, that's very cool. And that's it. That's legit. It. That's we get credits after that. And uh, yeah. So was it a great episode? No. Did I hate it? No, absolutely not. I would watch this episode a hundred times over, like half of the crap I've watched on Discovery. Man. Oh, dude, no, it's way way uh, better than Discovery. But uh, I I think this is weaker than any of the episodes in season one. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Yeah, I I don't feel like it really advanced the plot much. I mean, if anything, it kind of went backwards a little bit because the whole Laon thing is just immediately resolved. Yep, it's over. No problem. And I mean, maybe this is set up for a potential human Klingon war. Maybe I mean, so they're giving us that backstory. But I, mean, I think it was just, hey, let's have a little fun romp with the Klingons and set up more Gorn stuff and and yeah. tie up all these. You know, we set up all these plot lines that were apparently not going to do in season two. So let's just cap them right now. I don't know. I, it just, again, the, the whole thing felt really lazy to me. Yeah, it it definitely felt forced. It felt both forced and lazy in, in different parts. So, I, so I've, I've said nothing but uh negative things so far. I want, uh, again, I will say one good thing. The, it looks great. It looks fantastic. It, the, the, yes, I agree. The costumes, the effects, all of it looks good. That whole scene on the, the you know the planet with the the Klingons and you know there's just all these weird props and stuff. All that's practical effects that were really cool. Whoever you know the this the production design team on this show is second to none. It everything no, looks great. Nothing in this episode looked like it was out of Hollywood. Like no. there are definitely episodes of TNG or Voyager or Deep Space Nine where you can tell like they just you know whatever took a beer bottle and spray painted it and put it in Quark's bar, right? You know, like because they yeah. don't well, have the budget. TNG it, was on the verge of cancellation for most of its run. It never had any money. They're clearly spending bucks on Strange New Worlds, which is great I, to see. Absolutely. So that that's the one thing I took away from Discovery, too. Is like clearly that's their flagship, or at least it was. They wanted it to be. Is they there's a ton of money in just the visuals of that show. And it does. It looks amazing. It's just everything else about that show sucks. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. So no, anyway, and, so and this again, is, you know, they made costumes, you know, for all the crew to go down and, and blend in. You know, those were all one offs that are never going to get made again, and they look great. The Klingons looked good. I was a little bit yeah. worried about the, you know, the different Klingons thinking they were going to, you know, change that up. But yeah, they everybody who everybody who's in has anything to do with the look of the show should get a big pat on the back because it looks fantastic. Actually, it is worth noting that the Klingon that they, you know, the Klingon captain they end up drinking, you know, blood wine with. He looks more like a traditional Klingon. His, yeah. his, 
forehead ridges look more wharf like you know so just uh, again to to visually differentiate them between the the klingons and the separatist klingons so yep they do sort of resolve that difference i guess yeah so. It's still good to be watching Star Trek, but man, I hope they I hope they raise the bar a little bit on the plotting because that was a travesty. Jason, any last words? No, it, it was a very uninteresting episode. Just didn't have a lot of meat to it or substance to any of like the plot points. It's very lazy, like you said, and the fact that the Palea is a that there's an existing race that's that they could have used that's almost identical in like description, like you're saying. That yeah, that kind of blows my mind. It seems super lazy not to like reach into that. I mean, we may may discover that they're the same or something, but it's just yeah. Like why? You know? I didn't I I consider myself a pretty big Star Trek nerd. And n- I not only did I not know that Guinan was an Allurian, but I also did not know that they lived with humans. So uh I consider well, myself educated. Go out uh, and watch some TNG again, my friend. I guess so. We did. Uh, I did finish. We watched all of Voyager, me and Roland, and half of ANG. And we did start. We started uh, Deep Space Nine. So we've been watching a little Deep Space Nine. You watched half of ANG, or half of ANG watched Voyager? She tunes in, you know, a little bit. I've been more watching it with Roland, but she she will tolerate it, which is surprising because she doesn't normally like science fiction. So. But okay. uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek, and, and so is she watching it with one eye closed? How does that? Well, she doesn't like like I'm saying like I will watch an episode know, with just, Roland, and she may I'm or just may undangling not undangling modifier patrol. <laughs> uh, uh, what else? Yeah, I don't know. Deep Space Nine's uh, still good. Voyager's good. Yeah, and Strange New Worlds is good. Just this episode's, you know, every Star Trek has some stinkers, and this is one of them. Doesn't mean the show's bad, just this episode was. I give it a 3 out of 10. Oh, wow. Are we doing ratings? We did last season, so why not? I give it, yeah, I'll give it a 5 out of 10. I mean, I was just happy to see the characters again because I've been watching so much crap lately that I'll, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt of just being characters that I like. Uh, I give it I give it 3 Klingons that Umbenga beat to death with his hands out of 10. Jason? Uh, I want to go lower. I'm going to give it two just to, just to top you. And the fact that it's the season opener is, is makes it much more disappointing and, you know, not having kind of the fan favorite Captain Pike in there and just some really odd, like lazy choices, like to have the on thing tied up immediately. I mean, yeah, like, like you've said, it's just, it's such a odd, um, uninteresting you know, return to this series that I was really looking forward to. So, yeah. Maybe Anson Mount got a copy of the script and was like, you know what, guys, I'm going to sit this one out. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. The rest of these are great, but this one sucks. So I'm going across the game. Write me out of this one. I'm not doing this one. 